your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are recording this episode on Thursday, February 3rd, and it will be begin airing on Sunday, February 6th. My name is Therese Robinson, and I'm on air today with my co-hosts, Emily Scott and Jasmine Smith. How's it going, ladies? Hello. Happy Black History Month. Yes. Yeah. And it's also Lunar New Year. Right. I the believe. year of the tiger. Yes. Yeah. Bravery and a few other cool things. I know. Yeah. Cool and stuff. I absolutely have to shout out my hometown, Cincinnati, Ohio, because the Bengals are on their way to the Super Bowl. Oh, congratulations. And that shit ain't happened since 1988. <laughs> and, it's, and it's happening in the year of the Tiger. I wow. I, I honestly, full, full disclosure, I've never been a Bengals fan because they're just not a winning team. They're uh-huh. just not. Wow. But, like, seriously, I can say that. Um, I'm grown now. But, and I don't live there anymore. But this was a glorious day for my hometown. And they're um, playing against the L.A. team as well. So everybody's coming out west, which I'm super excited about. I will be in L.A. for the game. So how hey, cool is that? Cali girl. I know, right? This new life is doing all right. Crazy. All right. Crazy. Hi, Look at us. Be, be careful. I will, I know yeah. People get, we- get weird with sports. so They do. Yeah. <laughs> They do, but they this do. is kind of like a once in a life. Well, I'm going to say once in a lifetime because I do remember in 1988, the only Super Bowl my mother ever went to go watch when we lost against the um, San Francisco 49ers. So it's a bit of a nostalgia, but hey, whatever. You're the Tiger. Let's get it. I'm excited. Yeah. So how are you doing, Emily? It's been a minute since we've been on I together. know. I know. It's been busy, busy time, but um, I'm doing well, you know. The weather is the same every day here in Barcelona this time of year. Um, just trying to enjoy it, <laughs> trying to yeah. soak up the sun every That's day. Awesome. Yeah. And you're in California too. So it's probably similar out there. Yeah. It's uh, the dra- the change is drastic. Like at night, it's still mm-hmm. 35 to 40 degrees. Yeah. So I wake same up here. freezing, but then by mm-hmm. noon, it's 60 and something. And sunny, Literally, so. same exact thing here. Yeah. Awesome. Layers, awesome. layers. Right, Jasmine, you all right over there? I heard you got more snow oh, no. today. How you doing? I am perfectly fine. Like you heard, there was more snow today. I yeah, I did. It coming or today, or it's on the way this weekend, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I've well, I've missed it. I have like there's <laughs> snow on the ground. It's not. It's not actively snowing now. Like there got was it. a snowstorm before, but it was. It's not that, you know, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. Like, I grew up in the snow. Like, I don't really. So nothing out of the ordinary for me that I noticed. And I've been in the house. So. Okay. Well, that's good. good. I know y'all are trying to make me feel a way. You're not going to make me feel a way. We're just checking on you. We're just checking on you. We're just bonding. We're just bonding. (laughs) We're not that far removed, especially myself. It's been two weeks. I mean, come on. We're not so different, (laughs) you and I. Yeah, awesome. me and Dre are holding it down in the frozen north, but we're we're hey, hanging Dre. in there. <laughs> hey, buddy. Nice. All right, cool. Well, on today's episode, our local news story is about healthcare workers discouraging pregnant women from getting vaccines. Our national news story will be about the historically black colleges that were uh, hit by a bunch of bomb threats as we start Black History Month. In world news, we have a story about the rise of plastic recycling in Senegal. And for our good news story, it's about a court canceling oil and gas leases in the Gulf of Mexico. So we're going to go ahead and kick off our episode today. Jasmine, you're up. 
Um, so this this was a the article was kind of lengthy, so I'm just going to read um, the most important part in the beginning. Uh, this article is in the Gothamist. The title is NYC Health Workers Discourage Pregnant Women from Getting COVID Vaccines Defying Guidance. And it was written by Caroline Lewis on February the 2nd. Um, Greer Mellon had just started trying to get pregnant in November when she went to get her COVID-19 booster shot at a site run by New York City Health and Hospitals in the Bronx. As she walked into the clinic, she noticed a sign on the intake booth with several screening questions. One of them was, are you pregnant or considering becoming pregnant? Mellon asked the nurse administering her shot why they screened for pregnancy and, she was and, she, and said she was shocked by the nurse's response. The nurse said that if I was considering getting pregnant, she would recommend waiting and not getting the vaccine, Mellon recalled in a recent phone call. She also mentioned that she tells people who come in who are pregnant or breastfeeding that she thinks it's better to wait than to get the vaccine while they're pregnant or breastfeeding. On Monday, WNYC slash The Gothamist visited the vaccine hub at Bathgate Contract Postal Station Business Service Center to confirm this messaging. Asked if the vaccine was safe for pregnant women, a nurse administering the shot said, we don't have enough research. Similarly, a staff member doing intake said that there could be unknown side effects. Those statements are incorrect and defy health guidance, both on the city and federal level. Officials have recommended COVID-19 vaccines during pregnancy for months, but another pregnant person who spoke to WNYC The Gothamist about getting vaccinated at a separate city-run site said the staff there also defied established health guidance. The CDC officially began recommending vaccination against COVID for pregnant and breastfeeding women last August, noting that a growing body of evidence showed it was safe and there was not an increased risk of miscarriage among pregnant women who took the shots. The CDC has maintained this guidance, saying data suggests that the benefits of receiving a COVID-19 vaccine outweigh any known or potential risks of vaccination during pregnancy. Likewise, the NYC Health Department recommends COVID vaccines to people who are pregnant, recently pregnant, breastfeeding, or wanting to get pregnant. Its website also references studies showing that breast milk can deliver antibodies to a newborn, potentially warding off coronavirus infections. Research also shows that pregnant women are at higher risk for severe illness or adverse pregnancy outcomes if they do contract the coronavirus. For instance, an April 2021 study of 2,130 pregnant women in 18 countries found that such infections were associated with higher rates of maternal mortality, preeclampsia, and preterm birth. A recent study out of Scotland also found that women infected with COVID-19 within a month of giving birth were more likely to have a stillbirth or infant death. So yeah, like I'm not, there's a few more pages of the article where they go into what much more detail about, you know, the benefits of the vaccine and NYC Health and Hospitals spokespeople explaining that, you know, this is not in line with um, any of their messaging um, but this story really stuck out to me because, you know, you have to trust that 
people are doing what they're supposed to do. And unfortunately, that's not always the case, you know, because these are just people who were startled and decided to speak up about it. So imagine how many other people might have heard the same misinformation and they just said, okay, and didn't get the vaccine. This is disheartening because just off the top, um, pregnant women are more susceptible to a lot of disease I think, not just COVID-19, um, just because of all of the many things that is happening to their bodies throughout their pregnancies. So, you know, having misinformation from healthcare practitioners directly to women is, is just, it's really disheartening. And it's, and I'm, I can even understand, you know, the dangers of the mothers who are carrying children who are, you know, probably not having their regular routine checkups because of the way the hospitals are going, uh, may be having other issues um, because of just the frenzy of the times that we're living in right now. I know my godson is a COVID child, and when he was born, it was the scariest thing ever, and we didn't have vaccines yet, you know, so this is really touching home for me just because it's hard enough um, to carry a child period just the whole birthing cycle is hard enough you're susceptible to so many things and then on top of that people who are there supposedly to care for you are just really making it even more dangerous for you to come and get consultations and visits Mm -hmm. yeah and it's interesting I I was just listening to I don't know some podcast like we all do and it was it's a medical one and they were saying that technically when you're pregnant you're being pregnant counts as being immunocompromised right yeah Yeah. right that's exactly what I was talking about yeah Yeah. exactly yeah and just but like not but and putting that label on it like helps you see like that higher risk is really it's really heightened like the immuno the immunocompromised you know people of the world are at the highest risk for having severe complications for COVID and you know there's there's all this I also saw this thing recently where it's um, I might have talked about it on the show before, but there is a scientist who helped develop the Moderna Moderna vaccine. And they it's a it's a woman who tweets anonymously because of, you know, being a female scientist on Twitter is not exactly a healthy place to to be, you know, doxing and all that. But um, she she tweeted within the last couple months where, you know, never ceases to amaze her how much, how much people are so like, Oh, we just don't know what the side effects will be. What's well, like, what we do know how dangerous the disease is. Like, well, they're so they're 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 so convinced that the side effects of the vaccine will be worse than, you know, what they do know. And what we do know is that the COVID could be deadly, right? Like how much we're, you know, and could have long-term side effects and X, Y, Z. And it's, it's just interesting that, um, you know, there's almost no amount of data that will convince people, you know, the unknown is always scarier than the known for some people when it comes to this. But we know a lot right now, a lot more than we did two years ago. Yeah. And it's like pregnant people are technically immunocompromised. And then there's also these other layers to you know, amongst pregnant people, like some people within that group are already at high risk. Like if you're black, if you're a Hispanic, mm-hmm. like you're more likely to, you know, just before there was a pandemic, mm-hmm. the chances of you having a negative outcome were higher or not being able to get the type of prenatal care that Reese was talking about. So then you add that on top of this, like those are already 
there's already populations that are at greater greater risk period and this is like doubling it if they're not getting the vaccine but the thing that stood out to me about this is um i recently had to do a training thing for work and one of the things that kept coming up it was like about bias or something and they kept emphasizing that it's not about changing like how you like what you believe it's just about your actions and i'm like i understand what they were trying to say but at some point like if you have like certain beliefs and what you're supposed to do at your job like go against that it's going to bleed through at least in some cases mm. with how you treat people because mm-hmm. like they are allowing their own personal hang-ups or ideas about what people should or shouldn't do to direct like what they're telling vulnerable people at their job you know who trust them because you're supposed to be the professional you know, like what, imagine you don't like speak English or something, or like you just are someone who's very trusting, like, oh, okay, well, they said that, like, you're going to take that and believe it, and then maybe tell other people, you know, it's just, it's very, very dangerous. That's a really good point, Jasmine, especially in vulnerable communities all across the world, you know, a lot of people still, you know, I think a lot of times people in industrialized nations and, um, for lack of better words, more, I'll just leave it at that. They oftentimes don't realize that most of the world does not exist in that space. They have a different reality. And when you consider that, what you're saying, maybe one or two people out of the household in a lot of communities may be the ones that go to the doctor, right? But they share medicine, information, whatever they can with their family members. And you can't blame them for that. I mean, that's, that's what they can do. So I think it's really sad to know that, you know, we still have people in our society are just making it worse for people on a daily. And that really just trickles down to communities of underserved populations and just people all over the world. All right. Well, thank you so much for that story, Jasmine. I think it's really important. Uh, We're going to go ahead and pop into our first music break. Uh, This first track today is a really nice jazz song. It's called Odd Times, and it's by a band, Trio Sense. We'll be right back.
You can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram account is at objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now for our national news story. Um, This story was drawn from an article on the New York Times. The title of the article is Historically Black Colleges Disrupted by Bomb Threats. And the author of the article is Amanda Hullpunch and Julia Hayward. A series of unconfirmed bomb threats disrupted life at more than a dozen college campuses this week, drawing the attention of the White House and the FBI. On particular concern, of particular concern were threats directed at historically black colleges and universities or HBCUs, including at least 17 that temporarily canceled in-person classes and lockdown buildings. President Biden was aware of the threats. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said in a news conference on Monday, I will say that these are certainly disturbing, Ms. Psaki said, and the White House is in touch with the interagency partners, including federal law enforcement leadership on this. The FBI said in a statement that it was working with our law enforcement partners to address any potential threats. The authorities have so far not described any of the threats as credible, but school officials and many of the universities took precautions, such as sweeping campus buildings and moving to remote instruction. Some HBCUs have received several threats this year. Representative Val B. Demings, Democrat of Florida and a former police chief, said on Twitter on Monday that the threats against historically black colleges demand a response. As a former law enforcement officer, I'll keep working to make sure our institutions and law enforcement have the resources they need to keep all of our students and communities safe. Ms. Deming said. On Monday, at least seven HBCUs, including Southern University and A&M College in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Delaware State University in Dover, Delaware, received bomb threats. At least 10 other historically Black colleges, including Spelman College in Atlanta, reported threats of on Tuesday, the first day of Black History Month. The threats were made in the early hours of the day, according to several affected schools. Tiara Sancour, a student at Hines Community College, which closed four campuses in Hines County, Mississippi, after the bomb threat, said on Tuesday that she felt angry and fearful. As she drove back home on a route that avoided campus, she thought of how the bomb scale had disrupted her education, forcing her to miss an entire day of classes. For us to be targeted like this, it makes me angry and hurt that this is still happening, Ms. Sancour 22 said, and mentally it hurts too. Anaya Green, a 19-year-old student at Xavier University in New Orleans, said the bomb threat at her school should be taken seriously by officials. It doesn't seem like a prank, and myself, along with other peers, are feeling targeted. At least four schools issued all-clear messages by midday Tuesday, including Kentucky State University, Howard University in D.C., Jackson State University, and Tougaloo College in Jackson, Mississippi. At Bethune-Cookman University in Daytona Beach, Florida, a man who claimed to be a neo-Nazi organization made a threat on Monday to detonate bombs at the university. Chief Jakari Young of Daytona Beach Police Department said in a news conference, classes were canceled and authorities did not find the bombs, the police said. Chief Young said the FBI was investigating and following up with local officials so they could connect the dots 
with the other threats that occurred at the other HBCUs. Separately on Tuesday, UCLA said that all of its classes for the day would be remote out of an abundance of caution after some school staff received threats from a specific person. The school said that according to law enforcement officials, the person was not in California and was under observation. Investigations were still underway on Tuesday morning at several of the historically black colleges, including those that have received repeated threats this year. The threats are despicable, Mary Schmidt Campbell, president of Spelman College in Atlanta said in an email to students and staff members on Tuesday. They are designed to make us feel fearful and vulnerable. At least eight HBCUs had also received threats on January 5th. Many campuses were nearly empty because of winter break and the coronavirus pandemic, but dorm rooms and administrative buildings were still cleared out. A week later, the University of Utah reported that its Black Cultural Center had also received a bomb threat. The recent bomb threats at historically Black colleges and universities followed a series of unsubstained threats in November at several Ivy League schools as well as campuses in Ohio and California. Those threats were later deemed not to be credible. So that's the end of this particular story. Um, there has been some other stories recently about um, the people behind these bomb threats were six minors, meaning underage individuals connected to different hate organizations. I didn't feel comfortable reporting on that because the news is still very new and I want to make sure it was accurate. But this is so disheartening um, and just, it just really goes to show that we are so not far removed from any of the racist rhetoric that people try to act like it doesn't exist. Because for large institutions like this, and there was even reports of faith-based institutions in these same areas receive bomb threats from these same individuals. You know, I can't even imagine what that feels like walking onto a college campus and feeling targeted while I'm trying to get my education and paying thousands of dollars for it in the middle of a global pandemic. It's one of those things where it's it's terrible to say, but you get so used to it in a way because between this and like threats against black churches, like it happens a lot. Like it happens a lot and doesn't really make the news every time it does happen. Um, but yeah, and like I I know you weren't comfortable reporting on exactly who was responsible or who might be responsible for this but it when you mentioned like minors we did a story not that long ago about um it was a young kid whose parents had got him a gun or something and they were on the run because like yes. he ended up using the gun in the school yep you I know so there, there's a there's a lot of people who just are kind of naive like when they think and talk about this, these types of incidents like it's some ancient history thing that's the purview of like a group of people that is like dying out or something like that's really not the case yeah and on that note too jasmine i feel like that was like the lesson i grew up hearing right that that sort of like oh we're moving like constantly towards a more just society and a better society and you know i i think there's a lot of evidence that that's both true and and that the reactionary side of that is also overwhelming, right? Like nothing is ever in terms of of progress. I don't I, I shouldn't talk in absolutes because I'm not an expert, but like it seems to me that like the, you know, two steps forward, one step back or one step forward, two steps back or something like that when it comes to 
um, progress. And then, you know, with, with the like young people being so forcefully, um, reactionary in some of these things. And I did that story recently about, um, the anti-feminist movement in South in I think South Korea. And that's like a mostly young male thing. And, and it is, it's, it's, it's upsetting for me when so many youthful people are, or young people are carrying on such, um, horribly backwards and, or, uh, you know, racist and misogynist and, and, um, these like very backwards ways of viewing the world. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's worldview is, is shaped to a certain degree by what they're exposed to. And I I guess it's to that point, you know, there's always going to be people that are carrying on the views of their, their elders for better or for worse. Like there's always um, pushback, like things are, mm-hmm. are very cyclical. Yeah. So like you have a lot of like you have periods where like you do have pro- progress. Like I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that a lot of people compare the moment we're in now with like reconstruction, you know, like after, mm-hmm. you know, you, there's a lot of people that never thought that this country, you know, I'm not like an Obama fan, but like a lot of people never thought there would ever be a black president. And then it did happen, and then there was this immense, like, backlash against it happening. Like, after, like, during Reconstruction, yeah. there were all these recently emancipated people that were making these huge strides with, you know, voting and setting up public schools and doing all these incredible things in a short period of time in the South after the war. And then there was a massive backlash against all of that progress, you know, so it's like Mm -hmm. a cycle it's like a wheel that just you Mm -hmm. spin it and it's like this happens and then there's like this knee-jerk reaction to try to like lash out against Mm -hmm. it you know and people inculcate you know and all the book bannings and attempts to try to suppress you know all the progress that you see made with like what kids can learn in school Mm -hmm. people are lashing out against that now Mm mm-hmm yeah, yeah I, I definitely been following the stories of the book ban and I, I was considering um, doing a story on that, but I know we did one last week. But I think this this story is just for me, it hit home only because like, you know, I had dreams of going to a HBCU as a Midwest person. I'm a first generation college graduate. And every time I do stories about people, I try to put myself in that person's shoes um, to see if I can even imagine the world from their perspective, right? Because I think that a lot of times our stories on social justice topics, you know, they reach a lot of different people. And it's important to me as a person that does this work and how whatever capacity to just, you know, feel um, the emotions of people, whether you're an educator, whether you are a student. Um, I'm a person who's worked in higher ed my whole life. So I'm just saying that, you know, while literally progressing yourself in any way in society is a form of rebellion you know at this level you know it's just disheartening I just feel for these people and while it's not new this is the type of shit that goes on every day that nobody knows about you know until I started doing a little research I didn't realize there was all of this going on since November at even other schools so this is going on yeah you know this is I think it'd be I think it's because it was Black History Month that, you know, and it happened at the beginning that right. I was seeing all those things. But, like, if you follow 
the schools, like you would know that this is like a consistent problem. Yeah. And I'm and sure they have to have plans. Yeah, like canceling yeah. class, sending out an email, like they like it's been going on for you know a while. Yeah. So yeah. just great grateful that no one was hurt in this instance. You know, at least it was thwarted or right. But just, you know, be aware, be mindful, people. Um, hatred is still alive in this world, and it's happening <laughs> right around the corner from wherever you are. So just be mindful, and um, yeah, um, that's it, I guess. That's it. All right, y'all. We're going to take another breather. I think it's time. This next track is a throwback and a good dedication to Black History Month. This is Little Ghetto Boy by Donny Hathaway. We'll be right back. Little ghetto boy Playing in the ghetto street What you gonna do when you grow up And have to face responsibility Will you spend your days and nights In a pool room Will you sell camps of was blown away He robbed at the grocery store Don't you know that was a sad, sad old day All of your young life you've seen such a misery and pain The world is a cruel place and it ain't gonna change You're so young Think you'll reach a goal, young man? Radio Free Brooklyn is proud to present Black Emoji with Control the Sound at Mercury Lounge, located at 217 East Houston Street, on Sunday, February 13, 2022. The show will feature music from Black Emoji's critically acclaimed album, Electro, and will welcome Brooklyn-based band Control the Sound, called The Next Superstars by Pix11 News. With what Afropunk calls driving dirty synths and a stripped down beat, this is one lineup worth stepping out for. Tickets are $12 and are available at the door or via Ticketmaster. As per NYC law, proof of vaccination is required for entry. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And Emily, you are up for our world news update. Alrighty, so this story comes from a January 31st New York Times article by Ruth McLean titled, Everyone's Looking for Plastic. As waste rises, so does recycling. 
plagued by plastic pollution, Senegal wants to replace pickers at the garbage dump with a formal recycling system that takes advantage of the new market for plastics. Um, as a side note, I do recommend that listeners check out the the article itself in the New York Times because the photos by uh, photographer Finbar O'Reilly are really like they're like beautiful, but they're also of garbage at the same time. It, it's it really adds to the the whole like just experience of what's happening over there. Um, alrighty, so the article explains quote. A crowd of people holding curved metal spikes jumped on trash spilling out of a dump truck in Senegal's biggest landfill, hacking at the garbage to find valuable plastic. Nearby, sleeves rolled up, suds up to their elbows, women washed plastic jerry cans and rainbow colors cut into pieces. Around them, piles of broken toys, plastic mayonnaise jars, and hundreds of discarded synthetic wigs stretched as far as the eye could see, all ready to be sold and recycled. Plastic waste is exploding in Senegal, as in many countries, as populations and incomes grow and, with them, demand for packaged, mass-produced products. This has given rise to a growing industry built around around recycling plastic waste by business and citizens alike. From Chinese traders to furniture makers and avant-garde fashion designers, many in Senegal make use of the constant stream of plastic waste. Uh, Mbe Bes, uh, the dump site serving Senegal's seaside capital of Dakar, is where it all begins. Uh, more than 2,000 trash pickers, as well as scrubbers, choppers, haulers on horse-drawn, ho- horse-drawn carts, middlemen, and wholesalers make a living by finding, preparing, and transporting the waste for recycling. It adds up to a huge informal economy that supports thousands of families. Over more than 50 years at the dump, Pape Nidie, uh, the doyen of waste pickers, has watched the community that lives off the dump grow and seen them turn to plastic, a material that 20 years ago the pickers considered worthless. We're the people protecting the environment, said Mr. Nidie, uh, 76, looking out at the plastic scattered over Guyagi, his corner of the dump. Everything that pollutes it, we take to industries and they transform it. Despite all of the efforts to recycle, much of Senegal's waste never makes it to landfills, instead littering the landscape. Knock-off Adidas sandals and containers that once held a local version of Nutella block drains. Thin plastic bags that once contained drinking water uh, meander back and forth in the Senegalese surf like jellyfish. Plastic shopping bags burn in residential neighborhoods, sending clouds of chemical-smelling smoke into the hazy air. Senegal is just one of many countries trying to clean up, formalize the waste disposal system, and embrace recycling on a bigger scale. By 2023, the African Union says the goal is that 50% of the waste used in African cities should be recycled. Um, A side note that uh, about the Mbebes dump is that, quote, it opened in the 1960s and is now considered an environmental hazard and a threat to human health. Um, quote, the, pla- uh, the recycled plastic makes it to enterprises of all stripes across Senegal, which is one of the most robust economies in West Africa. And quote, custom-made mats from this factory lined the catwalks at Dakar Fashion Week in December, focused this time on sustainability and held in a baobab forest. Signs were constructed out of old water bottles. Tables and chairs were made of melted-down plastic. An organization known as Bok Jim is, quote, a kind of informal union representing over half of M- uh, Mbebez's waste pickers, 
and most of them spend their days searching for plastic. Uh, quote, most of the pickers who target plastic sell it at about 13 cents a kilogram to two Chinese plastic merchants who have depots on the landfill site. The merchants process it into pellets and ship it to China to be made into new goods, said Abdu Dieng, the manager of Embebes, uh, who works for Senegal's Growing Waste Management Agency and has brought a little order to the chaos of the landfill. Uh, Senegal is flooded with other countries' plastic waste as well as its own. China stopped accepting the world's un unprocessed plastic waste in 2018. Casting around for new countries to export it to, the U.S. began to ship plastic to other countries, including Senegal. But that is beginning to change, too, as the Senegalese government appears to be cracking down on plastic waste coming from abroad. Last year, a German company was fined $3.4 million when one of its ships was caught trying to smuggle 25 tons of plastic into Senegal. Uh, quote, the government says that in a few years, the giant landfill will close, replaced by much smaller sorting and composting centers as part of a joint project with the World Bank. Then most of the money made from plastic waste will go into government coffers. The waste pickers worry about their livelihoods. Quote, Mr. Dieng, the government dump manager, insisted that the pickers would either be given jobs at the new sorting centers or we help them find a job that will allow them to live better than before. That doesn't reassure anyone. Uh, there are many changes, said Maget Diop, a project officer at Wiego, a nonprofit organization focused on, working poor, uh, on the working poor worldwide, and the place of the waste pickers in these changes is not clear. For now, though, hundreds of waste pickers have to keep on picking, dodging bulldozers, piles of animal guts and cattle, with curved metal spikes and trash bags in their hands, they head back into the fray. So yeah, that, uh, there's a lot going on in this story for sure. Um, there's, you know, workers' rights with the government trying to uh, essentially create, uh, you know, changing a way of life for a group of people that have been doing this work for decades. There's environmental hazards um, as well as personal health hazards, right? Like it's not it's not healthy to be working with so much plastic um, melting it down creates toxic fumes right. plastics in your body or in the environment um, you know the, the like it's it's good that it's not just sitting there unused but it's not like great that it's being you know used at all <laughs> um, it's pretty bad actually but yeah it's one of those stories where it's like so many fingers to point you know, it's mm -hmm. like all the neighboring countries depositing their fucking plastic into their, uh, you know, another country's problem. The people who are subject to this work and people who care, people who don't like this is this is a little overwhelming. I mean, I know this has probably been going on forever. Um, but wow, what an interesting story. Yeah, plastic is something that it's 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 really like it's become like a worm in my brain like I think about it all the time because it's just it's everywhere like even in things that you wouldn't necessarily think it's like oh that's plastic like or that has plastic elements in it and it's just where does it go you know even if you do try to recycle it like you were mentioning you know just being exposed to it and like what you have to do in order to try to rework it is toxic 
Yeah. And also on that note, I, Reese, you mentioned like all these other countries dumping their plastic, but it's also, it's the U S too, right? Like, you know, the, of course the U S sneaking in there with its sneaky trash, um, with our sneaky trash, but, um, yeah, like this, this is our story. It's not just, um, Senegal's story for sure. Yeah. And I'm, I, I know that I feel like there's also some tension sometimes I see between, while it's absolutely true that like big corporations and businesses and the military, like those are some of the worst polluters or like they contribute on a massive scale. I do think that it's a bit unrealistic to think that, you know, what individuals do when it's enough individuals doing it doesn't make any difference. Like I think the fact that things have been engineered in such a way that we're so dependent on plastics just in general especially in the west like it's a problem you know and like i I feel like there's no way around it like we have to find some kind of alternative that will biodegrade and not just be in the planet forever like polluting and poisoning things like there is no other option so like while i get like you can't personal responsibility your way out of it like part of it is like there has Mm -hmm. to be a massive shift Mm -hmm. because like it's everywhere it's in everything you know it's not sustainable and it's made if i'm not mistaken from like petroleum from fossil fuels like it's exactly uh it's fucked up start to finish right and um and and again like our reliance on and it's i'm conspiracy theorist Emily here but it's also pretty it's also like documented you know our reliance on plastic products it was was created by like the like uh fossil fuel industry like they you know before all this disposable stuff people just reused all their things over and over and over again and I'm sure to a certain degree that wasn't always healthy or sanitary but um you know certainly there's a happy medium that doesn't involve just totally trashing half the like the plastic you know what do they call it in the middle of the ocean like there's like micro microfibers micro pre- micro and, there's like a, and there's also like a floating not micro like island of trash just in the middle yeah. of the ocean yeah, yeah. right it's, yeah. yeah bad <laughs> it's wow. terrible like i think i don't know if i mentioned it but there was an episode of through line that was about the myth of recycling yes and it was so yes. It was very interesting, but also it's very depressing, but they did an excellent breakdown because they they talk about how, like, at one point, you know, when you talk about the milkman or whatever, like, you had stuff in bottles that would be refilled and, like, that was someone's job, you know, yeah. and, like, how there was such a PR campaign to get people used to the idea of throwing things away because that was not normal like it was not normal to just have a big pile of trash so there was like this huge shift that businesses um, made to like push people to like personal responsibility it and be like don't be a litterer it's that kind of pushed this out of sight out of mind attitude that like oh like if you're not seeing piles of trash like in your neighborhood then it's clean, it's fine, whatever. But then what's happening to all this junk that you're Mm -hmm. now putting in a landfill? Like, what is it doing? Where does it go? Mm -hmm. But nobody knows. And then like the little fake thing that, you know, this is recyclable, Mm -hmm. but it's not. 
But people think because they see that symbol, they think like, oh, it's being reused. It's not going to go sit in a landfill. And then lo and behold, it's just sitting somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like, and there's so much greenwashing these days where like you have the best of intentions and you think you're doing the right thing or you think you're being responsible with where you shop or whatever, but it'll be like, it will look like something is in like a brown paper bag. But then once you peel it off, there's like a plastic thing inside of that. Yeah. You know, to trick people into believing that they got something that's going to like biodegrade when it's not like, it's still made of plastic. I think that's really good that you guys mentioned these resources because I was just sitting here thinking like, you know, there's so much more I can know about this. Um, there's so much more I can do about this, right? The more knowledge you know, and I think that the old ways of recycling and trying to save the planet are completely outdated. Like there's so many things that we can do, small things um, to reduce our imprint, but in the same context, context to like tell each other and share it, you know? Yeah. So um, this is an interesting point of, you know, conversation because we need to talk more about this and we need to make sure that people are aware of the latest updates and um, what's really happening when you throw mm-hmm. something in a blue bag? Yeah. You know, like, is it, yeah. is it really no. doing what you needed to do? Or is there other options that are available to you within your yeah. community even, you know, that can be more And also, I want to note too that, um, like, that out of sight, out of mind thing, There, there's so many points along a system where your trash is not going to make it to wherever you think it's going to be recycled. I had a friend once who was organized, or like, someone at the, the school she worked at had organized a compost thing or like a, a recycle, a whole recycling system and all the, all the classes and all these different bins. And then one day someone asked the janitor, like, where do you put all these bags? And the janitor was like, Oh, they all go in the trash. Right. Like there's like the, these people, people, you know, you might think you're doing a good thing, but like, unless they're there, it's, it go it has to come from a very high level where everyone involved is, is actively participating in this system. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, as long as you have these massive corporations, cause like it is, you know, it's like these massive corporations exist mm-hmm. in a large part because like they sell these things to individual people on like a massive scale. So it's like, they do have enormous power and there is just so much like junk that they create. And it's almost like it's untethered from demand in some cases. Cause like, I I forget, did you see that image? It was in, I believe Chile in the country of Chile where there's like this mountain of fast fashion Mm -hmm. junk clothes that's just dumped in the desert somewhere and it's just growing exponentially Mm -hmm. it was the most mind-blowing thing because it's like stuff that's not ever sold but it's just created in such Mm -hmm. abundance and it's so you know like I think it's important like when you brought up this story like to think about the people that are on the other end of these Mm -hmm. systems Cause like it's Senegal, it's a lot of places. It's Senegal. It's places in um, in Asia that deal with this. Like they have piles and piles of trash that's like making them actively sick now. And it, it's also cheaper to make new plastic than it is to recycle old plastic, which again is like a a flaw in the system. Um, I also just want to um, shout out there that yeah okay. that um, I'm a big fan of glass. Glass is 
90% sure it's the only material that's 100% recyclable because every time you melt it down and make something new, it's just as strong and just as usable as the previous version where every time you melt down plastic, it's weaker and weaker and less usable. Um, same with like with paper products, right? Um, and glass doesn't leach. I mean, unless it's mixed with something, but um, doesn't leach chemicals into your body. So glass bottles. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. We yeah. need to hear that. Yeah. Thank you for that. Awesome. Thank you. That was definitely important dialogue. And let's wrap it up with some good news. What you got, Emily? Alrighty. So good news. Um, this story comes from a January 27th New York Times article by Lisa Friedman titled Court Revokes Oil and Gas Leases, Citing Climate Change. A judge ruled that the Interior Department must consider the climate effects of oil drilling in the Gulf of Mexico before awarding leases. The article explains, quote, a federal judge on Thursday canceled oil and gas leases of more than 80 million acres in the Gulf of Mexico, ruling that the Biden administration did not sufficiently take climate change into account when it auctioned the leases late last year. The decision by the United States District Court for District Court for the District of Columbia is a major victory for environmental groups that criticize the Biden administration for holding the sale after promising to move the country away from fossil fuels. It had been the largest lease sale in the in United States history. Now the Interior Department must conduct a new environmental analysis that accounts for the greenhouse gas emissions that would result from the eventual development and production of the leases. After that, the agency will have to decide whether it will hold a new auction. Uh, quote, Melissa Schwartz, a, a spokeswoman for the Interior Department, said the agency was reviewing the decision. Uh, as a candidate, Mr. Biden promised to stop issuing new leases for drilling on public lands and in federal waters. Uh, he is quoted as saying, and by the way, no more drilling on federal lands, period, 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 Mr. Biden told voters, voters in New Hampshire in February 2020. Shortly after taking office, he signed an executive order to pause the issuing of new leases. But after Republican attorneys general from 13 states sued, a federal judge in Louisiana blocked that order and also ruled that the administration must hold lease sales in the Gulf that had already been scheduled. Biden administration officials have said Interior Secretary Deb ha uh, Holland risked being held in contempt of court if the auction was not held. Environmental groups, however, argued that the administration had other options, including doing a new analysis to examine the ways that the burning of oil extracted from the Gulf would contribute to climate change. The lawsuit alleged that the Interior Department relied on an outdated environmental analysis conducted by the Trump administration that concluded additional drilling in the Gulf would not increase greenhouse gas emissions. The environmental group said that analysis did not consider new information about the impact of offshore drilling in rising global temperatures. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's my story. Um, good news, you know, for now, anything that doesn't, uh, that stops, halts the extraction of fossil fuels and the usage of new fossil fuels is a good thing. Um, I thought the additional context was interesting where, you know, Biden is like the, the on the surface everyone's like oh Biden's talking this big game about climate change but then he also did these lease things but then the background like sneaky legal Republican stuff I thought was interesting too but yeah overall good news I'd say yeah you gotta 
pull up a problem from the root mm-hmm. so like right. if it's you know that's what's going to make a difference like if you don't have the extraction happening to create the garbage then you don't have to mm-hmm. then deal with the garbage mm-hmm. yeah people are going to be forced to find other ways to meet those needs that don't include the junk yes. so yeah i hope there's more of this Thanks, Emily. We always need the good news and definitely look out for more stories about the environment for sure. You keep us abreast. We appreciate you, girl. And that's it, folks, for this week's Objection to the Rule. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org, on the Radio Free Brooklyn app, or on Spotify. Listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. Our final track of the day is Tense by Kendrick Lamar featuring Anderson Pack. Happy Sunday. See you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. I've been feeling kind of cooped up, cooped up. I'm trying to get some fresh air. Hey, why you got the roof off, roof off? You know it never rains here. Hey, you ain't got a flash when you're taking your picture. You ain't got to drown or waste your retention. Paparazzi want to shoot ya, shoot ya. Niggas dying for less out here. I'm Kendrick Lamar, respect me from afar I was made in this image, you call me a god Everybody in attendance, I'm about to perform Everybody get offended by the shit I got on Like can you buy that nigga now, honey horse Can you drive that nigga a G5 Can you fly that nigga, I need 10 So I can look at the snakes and poses I need 10, cause bomb head is non-disclosure I need 10, so I can live with a peace of mind Without niggas taking a peace of mind And peace be still and not do fine So fuck a fix-it ticket, you pull me over and might see One of your bitches <laughs> Let's
Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter.